0: welcome to the way ministries bible study with pastor john tonight's study will be in the book of second peter we invite you to join us at one oakley avenue in north providence rhode island this podcast is presented to you by the way ministries supported by listeners like you for donations live videos podcasts and more please visit www.thewayministriesri.org thank you and have a great day Let's
1: get started. Welcome to the coming out of the Dark Bible study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's word, amen? amen. First and foremost, let's thank our Lord and to Savior tonight Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this beautiful day and this beautiful opportunity as our, your family to gather together, Lord, to honor you, Lord. Thank you for giving us this beautiful day. We're grateful and thankful. All glory and honor goes to you. I'd like to thank the core of the ministry, one body. As we all need each other for this to function properly. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. And we'll start with a word of prayer. Dear gracious God, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Thank you for giving us this opportunity tonight again, Lord. To gather together to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord. And learn more and more about you and your ways, Lord. Help us, Lord, to crucify our flesh and make your ways our ways, Lord. Help us to get rid of our ways, Lord, and to live in newness of life, Lord, in the spirit, Lord, so people can see Jesus in us each and every day, Lord. Help us, Lord, because we can't do this without you, Lord. Thank you for your matchless grace and tender-hearted mercies that begin afresh every day, Lord. Help us all to develop a holy amnesia, Lord. Forget yesterday and always look forward to what lies ahead for us in your plan for our lives, Lord. Help us to have forgiving hearts, Lord, to take the bitterness, resentment, and anger and replace it with all the fruits of your spirit, Lord. The heart of love, joy, peace, patience, and self-control, Lord, and tolerance. Help us to love one another unconditionally, Lord, like you love us, Lord. Give us that power, Lord. Help us to come to church because we want to, not our obligation, not our our religion, Lord. Give us that desire to want to better know you, Lord, and grow in your grace and knowledge, Lord. As we go into the Book of Peter tonight, Lord, Give us the wisdom and we need, Lord, and help me to mes- give the message as clearly as you, as I received it, Lord. And as always, let everything be led by Your Spirit tonight, Lord, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen. amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord. There's a- Best of us. All right, how's everybody doing tonight, all right? Good. Good to see everybody. All right, we're going to start tonight starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is an awesome verse. Paul's joy at the church's repentance. Paul had to write them a severe letter because they were living like the world inside the church. He had to correct them. One thing the churches are failing to do these days is correct people. We're supposed to correct, we're supposed to learn, we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to be able to let people know when something's wrong and be able to take it, not get offended because that's how the Spirit speaks to us. Paul gives us a perfect example right here and what it's supposed to produce in us. Okay, as always, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go into these scriptures, so please prepare your hearts, clear your mind of the day to receive the message the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Okay, verse 5. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside, in fear on the inside. Imagine there was outside battles and inside battles. It's like all of us go through now. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged? Encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. See how important it is to encourage each other, This is a struggle, this walk. Instead of bickering and talking down on people, we're supposed to build up and encourage people. It's hard enough. We're supposed to talk good and highly of people, especially our brothers and sisters. Not complain and murmur. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what had happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. Verse 8. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. So God puts us through pain and suffering so we can repent and change our ways and get better. What happens with Christians? They get bitter and they walk away from God. Say, why is this happening to me? It tells us right now, pain is what causes us to change. It motivates us. Unfortunately, blessings don't change us. It causes, it causes us to walk away from the Lord more than it does to walk to Him. It was the kind of sorrow, this is the kind of sorrow, you know, when people say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but don't say don't change. Literally saying right here. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. What is he trying to say? When you go in the world and they say, I'm sorry, but they don't change their ways, it kills us spiritually. The other kind of sorrow that God wants us to have causes us to stop and get in the right direction again and change our ways. Can I get an amen here? Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to, and it's supposed to happen. That's what changes us. That's the transformation that takes place. We're to welcome it, not, not try to get rid of it. Now look what it says in verse 11. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you? Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wrong. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you can see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I told him how proud I was of you and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. So the letter that he had to write on caused them to change their ways. It was a severe letter. What he is doing, you know better than this, than to live this way inside of the church. They were doing all kinds of sinful things in Corinth. And he said, no, that's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live like believers and Christians. And show us an example. So he wrote the severe letter, but he was sorry he wrote it at first. But then after he wrote it, he said, I'm glad I did because it worked. It did what it was supposed to do. It caused you to change, not get bitter and walk away. One thing immature Christians do when they get corrected, they get bitter and walk away. Instead of saying, I needed that correction, and that's why people leave, because they get bitter and not better, it's just a lack of understanding and ignorance of God's work again, amen here, amen. but that that you still have to do it, it's just part of life, we have to get corrected don't we wish we were perfect he's perfecting us, alright let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, does everybody remember where we left off, I know Mary does verse <laughs> 5 Alright, so I'm just going to summarize a little bit, and then we're going to get right to this. In this letter, the Apostle Peter wrote this letter near the end of his life, okay? Possibly from prison. Tradition says that Peter was martyred by being crucified upside down. This letter was probably written to the same believers addressed in his first epistle to the church. Now, I think what what people are saying? He got crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to get crucified like Jesus.
0: Really?
1: Yeah. So he he wanted to get done upside down. He wasn't he wasn't nearly as worthy as Jesus was to himself. Right? That's what it was. And it's concerned now. That, all right. So the letter was probably written to the same believers addressed in the first epistle to the church. Okay. In this letter, he is concerned about false teachers infiltrating the believers and introducing destructive heresies as well as immoral behavior. And that's all through the churches today. False teaching and immoral heresies going on like crazy out there. Peter stresses many times that knowledge of our Lord Jesus combats these ideas. He finishes by addressing concerns surrounding the Lord's return. 2 Peter 1 opens with a beautiful greeting and reminded that we have been given exceedingly great promises to help us live godly lives and escape the corruption of our world. We are urged to progress in our knowledge of God so that we will be effective and productive. The Apostle Peter reminds us that he was an eyewitness of Christ's majesty and was with him on the sacred mountain confirming the message of Christ substantiating that all prophecy of scripture has come about by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we're in verse 5, but I'm going to just back up to verse 3 and come right down. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So I can stop right there and tell you, everything you need to live God's way, he has already given us. Can I get an amen here? We already have it, now we just have to grow into it. We have received all this, how do we receive it? By coming to? The moment we believe in him, we have him. Now after we have him, what comes next? Getting to know him. That's how we understand this. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature or become like Christ and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So we have to understand that all the promises of God are what gives us the power to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Amen. We have to understand that. We've got Bible promise books that we handed out. So we should go in there and look at them promises when things get heavy for us and the world wants to come up and grab us again. Because it always tries to. Instead of saying yes to it, we say no to it and back on the promises of God. All right, verse 5. Get a super turbo, yeah. <laughs> All right. Been a long day. It was hot. walking in the shop. Uh, the Lord got us through, right? It's nice in here, right? All right. It, verse 5. In view of all this, in view of everything that God has done, it tells us to make every effort to respond to God's promises. So we got the promises, but now we have to respond to them. How do we respond? Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, And patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. How about a big amen there? Now listen, this is the thing, God already did his stuff, now he's telling us to supplement our faith. Now you know as well as I do, when you take supplements or vitamins to help you get better, or make gains, when you go to the gym, you take supplements on top of the workout. Now, on top of knowing all the promises of God in this word, he tells us to supplement our faith with what? Moral excellence, something on our part. Knowledge, which we have to get knowledge of the word of God and all what he's done. And self-control, which he's given us, is the fruit of the spirit. And patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love, for just a few people. No, love for everyone. Our love is conditional, it's sad. We have conditional love, we love our kids, we love our family, but we don't love everybody. Jesus commands us to love everybody. Everybody that God puts in front of you, he tells us to love them, even our enemies. Now can you do that in the flesh? No, but he commands us to do that because that's what strengthens our faith. Now, just let me say something here. False teachers were saying that self-control was not needed. Now, this is, this is, where, the, this is where the grace message comes in, that it's not needed any kind of self-control because you're under God's grace. You can do whatever you want. You can live whatever way you want. It doesn't matter. These are, those are false teachers, and that's a heresy. That's a heresy in itself. God did not save us so we could live sinful and ungodly and think we can get away with it. That is false teaching. God's grace is the power to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. But false teachers were saying that self-control was not needed because human effort would not help believers anyway, which is a lie. It is true that good deeds cannot save us, but they are still absolutely essential in the Christian life. We are saved so that we can grow to resemble Jesus Christ and serve others. God wants to produce his character in all of us. To do this, however, he demands our discipline and effort. As we obey Christ, who guides us by his spirit, we will develop self-control over our desires, emotions, and behaviors. So, slowly, we're gaining control over that stuff. You know as well as I do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's some of our flesh that just does not want to die. Slowly, he's given us self-control over our desires, over our emotions, number one, and what? In our behavior. See, once we get hold of our desires and emotions, our behavior will follow with like good, godly behavior. Again, amen here. Come on, wake up, people. Amen. All right. Look at this now. Look what it says in verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So what is he trying to say here? If you don't supplement your faith and develop, you forget that you've been cleansed of all your sins, that they no longer have any power over you, and you can say no to it, but when you fail to develop, your sins just keep taking hold of you and you keep committing them, and you have no self-control. And that's why Christians don't grow. Because when he tells us to knowledge of God's word, it always helps us to grow. But what? You don't see people filled here because they just come on Sunday, get a message and leave. But listen, when we get the message, we're supposed to what? We use that message and live that way. Okay, get an amen. And it's just not enough to hear a message on a Sunday and think that seven days in the world we're gonna be able to combat that by one sermon. It's just not gonna happen. So that's why you got Christians making no effort with all these supplements in their faith. They're not taking any supplements. So what are they doing? They're stagnant and not making any progress. can't make any gains that way. So you get what? Casual Christianity. You can fill the Coliseum with casual Christians. But the ones that want to go to war and fight against the devil? There you go. You only have a few. The harvest is great, but the work is a few, Jesus said. Because nobody wants to put the time in to grow and learn so they can be of use for God. There's no other way. You're not going to grow and be able to serve God unless you know the Bible and know how he works. And you read the Bible and study it every day. And what? Fellowship with like-minded believers. Or right? It's not never going to happen. All right, now. Before we go on here, faith must be more than belief in certain facts, okay? It must result in loving action towards others, growth in Christian character, and practice of moral discipline. Otherwise, it will die away. James 2, 14 to 17 tells us, Peter lists several results of faith, learning to know God better, Remember James 2, 14 to 17? He says, what? Faith without deeds is what? Death. So if you don't use your faith and practice it, what happens? You die spiritually. Peter was several results of faith, learning to know God better, persevering on the trial, doing God's will, genuinely loving others. Not just saying I love you. Genuinely loving them and what caring about them. Listen, God's kind of love is very confrontational. It's not like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. It has nothing to do with that. Go back and read the Old Testament. It had nothing to do with feelings. His people were living sinful lives, and he put them in exile for 70 years because of it. Because they were disobeying him. So it's up to us, when people are disobedient, to be able to say the same thing and correct them. And be able to tell somebody out of love, hey, listen, you're doing the wrong thing. You're following the wrong path because you love them, because you don't want them to go over the cliff. You tell them the truth. You tell them the truth in love. Can I get any men here? We don't say I'm not gonna say anything because I don't want to hurt their feelings so they go over the cliff and what? Live a lie. Now listen, these actions do not come automatically, as we all know. They require dedication and discipline, and they are not optional. We must choose all of them as a continual part of the Christian life We have to make a choice each and every day to follow Jesus There's a song I have decided To follow Jesus right then it says no turning back No turning back once you make a decision to go this way There's no turning back anymore. It's over. I'm going this way whatever it takes to stay there Here I am use me it's a choice. Some of us get it, and some of us just don't get it, no matter how many times I'll preach it and give sermons on it and talk about it, that we must grow in grace and knowledge, read our Bibles every day, fellowship of like-minded believers, it goes like this, in one and out the other. So what I'm going to have to do on a Sunday is get like an air plug on one side, plug one side, so when it gets in, it can't come out. It stays in there. <laughs> and you know what happens? I'm just got to be honest with you People never change They never turn into the Christian that, they, that God wants them to be they just the same When they come in here They're the same way when they leave That's not what's supposed to happen The transformation that takes place When you come in here and leave You want something different when you leave here You no longer want to be that sinful person anymore, gossiping and talking about it. You want to keep your mouth shut. You want to read the Bible. You want to replace all that evil stuff with good stuff. That's a desire that the Holy Spirit gives us. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't get that desire. You can fool yourself by coming to church thinking that you're saved and be unsaved and go right to hell. it's It's a fact. Just because somebody comes to church doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Your belief must be shown by what? An action, the way you live shows you, proves that you're saved. By the, the What do they say to the um, Pharisees? Prove by the way you live that you've repented and turned to God. Don't just say we're children of Abraham. It's the same thing as salvation. Don't just say I have Jesus, then I'm going to heaven. Prove it by the way you live that Jesus really is inside of you. How about a big amen there? Okay. These actions do not come automatically. They're not optional. Listen. We don't finish one and start on the next, but we work on them all together and with each other's help. God empowers and enables us, but he also gives us the responsibility to learn and grow. Our faith must go beyond what we believe. Listen now. Our faith must go beyond what we believe It must become a dynamic part of all we do, resulting in fruitful service and spiritual maturity. What do I say on Sunday? Our goal is to grow spiritually and start to handle life God's way, not our way. God's word, which is the Bible, becomes the owner's manual to our lives. How many times do I say it? What? When we study it, read it, apply it to see how God wants us to live, how to think, how to act, and how to serve. In one and out the other. I can't control that. All I can do is give the right message all right? And I'm not responsible for the result. God is. Thank God for that or else I'd have to give up. Because you get discouraged. You try to tell people the right way to go and God speaks to you to do it to them. And they don't want to hear it. Just think about the prophets in the Old Testament. They were living so simple. We don't want God's way. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want to listen to the 400 false prophets to tell us, oh, everything's going to be fine with a smile. And that's the same way it is with Jesus in the prosperity gospels you hear. Everybody's smiling and getting blessed. The blessings of Abraham. Give us 10% and you're going to get 100% back. What Bible are you reading? They don't know the Bible. That's what it is. They just listen to what people say. They're not like Bereans and go back and study it to see if they're telling the truth or not. Fall into the lie and they live the lie. Instead of coming to a good Bible-believing church that tells them, you're going to change and grow. You're a sinner. Me? I don't have to change. There's nothing wrong with me. Well, then why do you need a Savior? I'm not that bad. Well, the Bible says we're all bad. And who do you compare yourself to that you're not that bad? Compare yourself to Jesus, and we're all wretched sinners. All of us. In need of a savior. And when you can get that, we're all in the same boat. Then we don't judge and say, I'm not like that, I don't need that, and I'm not like that, I don't want that. Can get an amen here? It's the truth that sets us free. <laughs> okay. We develop these virtues out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. People who claim to be saved while continuing to act the way they did before becoming believers do not understand faith or what God has done for them. Short-sighted or blind. Do not understand what God did or why they're even saved. What are you saved from? Saved from yourself. That's the problem. When you can understand that I'm the problem, not the world. Jesus is the solution, the result is a miracle. Okay, look at verse 10. So dear brothers and sisters, look what he says. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. So this is what you say. Well, we don't work for salvation, so why am I going to work? It tells us right here to work hard to prove that we are. How do you do that? Work hard to prove that you really are among God, those who God has called and chosen. When you do these things, when you supplement your faith like the way they're telling us here, you will never fall away. And there's people in the church that don't fall away. Why? Because they practice this stuff, so they don't. Because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak for everybody. So that's why we have to supplement. In this verse right here, Peter wanted to rouse the complacent believers who had listened to the false teachers and believed that because good deeds could have save them, they could live any way they wanted. If we truly belong to the Lord, Peter says, The example of our lives will prove it. How about an amen there? If we're not developing the qualities listed in one, five to seven, we may still be outside the household of faith. If you are the Lord's, your actions backing up your claim of having been chosen by God, you'll be able to resist the lure of false teaching and self-indulgence. So what does your life say about your faith when you're not in church? What does your life say about your faith. That's why they, when they put Peter in the book and they put James in the book, to help understand that Paul's message about grace wasn't all that he did. See, if you, didn't, if you don't put what it really means, people take that way over the top. Oh, I got God's grace. I can live as evil as I want. I can Because I'm going to heaven. <laughs> you hear that, right? And people who have no conviction, listen, no conviction about sin, no changed life, no wanting to do things for God, no service for God, no self-sacrifice to help other people still and stuck in themselves. You, you won't see them doing anything else. And there's the question right there. Are they really saved? Now, in verse eleven, look what it says. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, God will give you a grand entrance. Look, that means you can have that. You can walk into that right now, today. The grand entrance is living by faith, walking, supplement your faith that way, and you have a taste of heaven right now. You have peace and joy, no matter what's going on, knowing that God's controlling your life and your destiny. You're not in control anymore. You give God control. Now, look at verse 12. Paying attention to scripture. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. See, Peter always had to remind them because we forget. How many times do we read the scriptures and forget? And forget, and forget, and forget. And forget. But how come we forget things that are good and always remember how easy the bad... It's permanent. It's in us to do bad. You don't have to learn. It's already there. But to do good and remember Scripture takes what? Discipline, focus. I need to study these Scriptures. I need to get them in here so they can get in here and become part of me. Otherwise, they never get in. Nope. You know as well as I do. You try to read that Bible at 11 o'clock at night. See how much much you can retain at that point. It's like a tranquilizer. You end up falling asleep after three scriptures. For some reason. You get so tired when you read the Bible. The devil knows. The devil gets, I don't know what it is. Any other book you can stay awake and read. You get into the Bible. You start drifting. Who do you think that is? The devil. That's why he wants the best of us. That's why the best thing to do is when? First thing in the morning. On your way to work or whatever. Get in that scripture. Listen to the daily walk. Get rooted. Get grounded. We provide every opportunity in this ministry for you to get the word of God every day without excuse. You just have to make a choice. If It's only one click away. One click away. And those, and those that do it have capitalized on that and you know how much it helps you. It gets you rooted for the day. Just imagine if you didn't have it in there, how, how your day would go. Now he says in verse 12, I will always remind you about these things even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've already been taught. You hear it all the time. It says, he says even though you already know them, just like you say at church. Oh, I heard that a million times. Is he gonna have to say that again and again? Well, what's repetition? The key to? Retention. I used to go to the church back in the day, The Our Father, I can recite that backwards, blindfolded. It's in me. Because that's what they did every time. It's still in me. I can still remember it. Because they do it repetitiously so you remember it. Same thing, right? So that's why repetition of the scripture, you retain it. Awesome. And it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. As long as I am in this tent, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life or put off my tent. So, well he already he knew the time was... He knew he might have been in prison they're ready to execute him. He already knew his time was getting near. So that's why this epistle is so important. Just like when somebody's on their deathbed, they only talk about the real important things. And that's why Peter wrote these epistles. This is what's really important in the Christian life, to really pay attention to it. Okay, before we go on, Peter knew that he would soon die, okay? Many years before, Christ had prepared Peter for the kind of death he would face in John 21, 18, and 19. At this time, Peter knew that his death was at hand. Peter was martyred for the faith in about A.D. 68. According to tradition, he was crucified upside down at his own request, because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus, his master. Wow. Peter was, went through a lot. He denied him three times that he even knew him. Right? And then, would it, did Jesus like really write him off? No, he actually used him. He used him. But mighty ways. So just don't think because you fail that God won't use you. He uses, there to what? Show his power. Because after that, he says, after you've been sifted by Satan, I'm going to come in and restore you and make you stronger than ever. And it's not going to be through Peter. It's going to be through Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Amen. It was no longer Peter. It was Jesus who was going to make Peter the rock. And they take that scripture out of out of context saying uh, Peter was the first pope. The church is based on Peter. No, the p- church was based on Jesus was the rock. Peter, he used Peter to stop the churches. He was the rock. Peter was dead physically and spiritually alive in Christ. Amen. And that's where he wrote these epistles. He said, so on this rock I'll build my church. And people think it was Peter. The rock is Jesus, not Peter. This is just simple scripture that they take out of context. And there, and there are people will fight right now all over that. Same as Peter. The Bible says we can do nothing in the flesh. Now it says in verse 15. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am born. See? He wanted to make sure they, after he left that they still would remember what he was saying. That's how important it was to him, so people wouldn't lose their faith. Now look what it says in verse 16. For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. See, they remembered that day when he was baptized, and the Holy Spirit came into him in Matthew 17, verse 5, Mark 9, verse 7, and Luke 9:35. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Alright, now listen. Peter and the other apostles had staked their lives on the certainty of the gospel. They had heard and seen Jesus firsthand. Here, Peter is showing the corrupt leaders and false teachers the basis for his authority. Peter is referring to the transfiguration where Jesus' divine identity was revealed to him and the two other disciples. Remember when they went up on the mountain? James and John. Matthew 17, 1 and 8. And Mark 9, 2 to 8. Go back and look and reference it. When they went for the transfiguration. Remember. Okay, verse 19. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. See, the experience that they had gave them even greater confidence. See, when you put your trust in Jesus and he comes through, you have even more confidence that he's going to come through because you experienced something. You actually put it to the test. You actually have a witness to something. Something happened to you. You experienced something. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. You see it? Until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines. They refer to Jesus as the morning star, back in the Old Testament too. Arises in your hearts. It's gonna come in your heart. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or as a matter of one's own interpretation or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, you hear people talk about the Bible was written by men. No, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and God spoke through them. And get a big amen here. All right, we got through chapter two. Wow, that was pretty good, huh? We can break into chapter three tonight. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, two. All right, two Peter, chapter two. Beware of the false teachers. Now, let's, let me just summarize this before we go. 2 Peter 2 serves as a warning that false prophets and teachers will try to secretly introduce destructive heresies. Secretly. Very subtly. Look, a heresy doesn't sound it doesn't, it's not like off. It's not like a half-truth. There's some truth in it. Like they'll mix the Old Testament with the New, or they'll practice some of the Old Testament things into the New Testament. They'll mix it. When the Old Testament is done away with completely, we are under a totally new covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant. You can't bring the Old Covenant back. And this churches did do. Like um, they'll say that, you know, the Sabbath is on a Saturday. You can't do this. You can't do that. And it's like, no, that was done away with. Thank God it was. All right, as a warning, Peter recounts many stories of how God rescues the righteous while holding the unrighteous for the day of judgment. He warns that false teachers promise freedom, but are themselves slaves to depravity. They don't practice what they preach. We are warned to be on God. All right, verse one. The danger of false teachers. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching in shameful immorality, why? Because the flesh is still alive when you become a believer, it's still alive. Of course they're gonna practice their shameful things because they still wanna do it. They haven't died to the flesh yet. See what it says. They will follow. They will follow the evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they'll make up clever lies to get hold of your money. Oh my God! If you put on one of them net, those network channels and watch some of the stuff, how they get people's money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction. Will not be delayed. Don't worry. God's going to take care of them. And judge them. <laughs> okay. Now listen. Before we, we're going to close. I just want to reiterate on them three scriptures right there. Peter gives three warning signs for identifying false teachers. Listen now. Three signs. Immorality. Do the teachers live lives contain or condone immoral practices? Do the people who follow them have immoral sexual relationships? So greed. Teachers have the right to financial support, 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians 6, Timothy 5, but has money become the primary motivation for the teacher or church? Before you send money to any cause, evaluate it carefully. Does the teacher or preacher clearly serve God, Or merely provoke his or her own interests. Like, am I going to use your money to buy a Lamborghini? Or a jet? And that's what they do. And they tell people that they should have that. Because they serve the Lord. And Jesus didn't even have a place to sleep. And people believe him. And they give him him the money. Well, the person, now listen. Will the personal organization use the money to promote valid ministry, or will it merely finance further promotions or extravagant lifestyles? And the third one is lying. Is the leader offended when you ask for the scriptural backing behind his or her statements? Does he or she fudge on the facts when asked for evidence? Believers today would do well to heed Peter's warnings against false teachers, False beliefs are dangerous and can do great damage in the church. Jesus had told the disciples that false teachers would come. Peter had heard this warning, and this time he was seeing it come true. Just as false prophets had contradicted the true prophets in the Old Testament times, like I just said. Example, Jeremiah 23. right, Telling people only what they wanted to hear, False teachers were twisting Christ's teachings and the words of his apostles. These teachers were belittling the significance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Some claimed that Jesus couldn't be God, others claimed that he couldn't have been a real man. These teachers allowed even and encouraged for all kinds of immorality, especially sexual sin. We must be careful to avoid false teachers today. Every message must be evaluated in the light of God's word. Pay attention to special meanings or interpretations that add conditions to salvation or demean Christ and his word. You know it as well as I do. Do I hide anything here? We read the Bible all the way through. So you can come to a conclusion yourself. Nothing outside of the Bible comes into this church. Can I get any amen? All right, we're gonna close there. Dave, you wanna come up and close us? We get
0: four?
1: Yeah. We'll pick up a chapter uh, verse four of uh, chapter two and we get back together.
0: Okay. Lord, well, we're so grateful and thankful for this beautiful church, Lord. And this opportunity we have to gather in your house and hear your word, Lord. Lord, your word tells us in Romans 8, 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Lord, I pray that we would have a, a thankful heart, Lord, and always give thanks and praise to you, Lord, not only through the good times, but also through the tough times. And Lord, I pray that we would wait patiently on you through the tough times and use it to grow and mature in our faith. Lord, I just pray that you just continue to watch over the church and the congregation, Lord. Anybody who's sick and may not be feeling well, Lord, I pray that you would uh, watch over Drew's dad, Lord, touch his heart, Lord, reassure him that you'll never leave him or forsake him, and that you're with them always, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right,
1: All right we're going to stand, watch the video, and